Welcome once again to the Ulster Actuaries podcast. Today we have Rehabs UK's Managing Director, Lester Morse, with us once again. Uh, Lester? Good day. Uh, my name's Matt, and today we're going to be discussing the untimely, really, death of uh, 12-step recovery advocate and Friends star, Matthew Perry, um, popularly known as, as Chandler, as his character was on Friends. Uh, but he passed away age 54. Uh, he was a staunch recovery advocate. And he openly admits his struggle with alcohol and prescription medications, being addicted to Vicodin uh, and alcohol together for many years. Uh, he actually once reported to have attended 6,000 AA meetings. Uh, apparently, he went to rehab 15 times and detoxed from alcohol 65 times. So it's a really big battle. Uh, he, he once estimated he spent $9 million trying to get sober, which is, you know, I suppose it's all relative to the amount of money that you have. Um, yeah. But you can see, you know, he really struggled with this for a long time. Probably so not. although, yeah, so although there's no toxicology report yet, you know, we don't know. There was supposedly antidepressants uh, and anti-anxiety medications found at his home. But, you know, we, we don't really know, like, the, the true causes of his death. But it does feel like a huge loss for the recovery community. Um, but less of the stories that we hear from people like Matthew Perry and other celebrities, um, are they really relevant are they really relatable for like the average joe um and, and i kind of want to couple that with like the question why is it such a big loss for the abstinence-based recovery community in particular well i think that i think one of the things that you learn in early recovery when you start going to a few meetings i mean i've been to meetings in los angeles where they've got famous people and um I think from early on, you kind of also realise that, you know, in an AA meeting, you can have like surgeons, doctors, airline pilots, prostitutes, you know, builders, you know, architects, old ladies, young girls, old men, young boys, gay people, straight people. You know, you realise there's every kind of person and that addiction really has no boundaries or, um, you know, it, it's for everybody. And I think, you know, that you realise that, you know, again, I think it's one of the great things about the 12-step fellowship that doesn't get talked about, that it, it broke a lot of boundaries down back in the day. You know, it was uh, always um, a place of equality, no matter who you are. I think it's one of the first places the Catholics and Protestants would kind of mix up, you know, because I think people have that feeling that you're sort of surviving some sort of disaster. So I guess, you know, the, if all of the people on the Titanic, the rich and the poor, they'd all have that experience in common, which would bind them together. So I think, I think you sort of realise that early on that, you know, somebody wouldn't, say well he's rich and I'm not I think you understand that you've all got the same struggles you know in actual fact you know again like I said I used to <clears throat> go out to Los Angeles now and then had some friends out there in recovery so used to go and they'd show me around and we'd go to meetings together and stuff like that I'd, I'd like to rent Harley and ride around on that and live in the dream but I remember one day he was driving past the Beverly Hills um, graveyard and he said, that graveyard is full of young 
people, probably more so than the rest of society. Because the thing is, when you're kind of rich beyond measure, like most of them people are, there's no restrictions to the amount of drugs, um, <coughs> excuse me, fast cars, and strange behaviour that you can you can get up to. That then people live in a world of extremes. You know, the, most people's drug addiction is kind of tampered by their economic um, situation. And so them guys, they they they, kick, they have extreme addiction. And, and I don't know whether that would be something that most people would acknowledge. That uh, they're, they're a lot more susceptible to overdose and, and harm. And again, especially some of the drugs that he was using. You know, that was a big issue back in the day. Probably still is when I was out there. That you know. They come in for treatment and recovery, but they have access to all these private doctors that are kind of happy to write out whatever script that you want, as long as you're willing to pay. I think it's kind of what kills your Michael Jacksons and you know Elvis and all the big stars. Most of them with prescription drugs because they could afford the doctors, and so that a lot of people were um, in recovery were getting massive problems on the Vicodin and Oxycontin and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, a, it was a big issue and, and I was out there a few times. And I think he was definitely one of them. And then articles would be taking about 55 Vicodin in a day. You know, it's like, you, you don't know how they don't overdose and I'd be surprised if it didn't contribute to whatever happened to him. So Matthew Perry was a 12-step advocate as well. Um, mm. And, you know, I know yourself, Lester, you're a big, big believer of abstinence-based recovery. Um, so I know Matthew Perry obviously spent some time on these prescription drugs, but I uh, mm. understand that he really did try and help fly the flag for abstinence-based recovery. Can can you tell us a bit more about that? And about sort of... Yeah, and he did. I think, I think he definitely did fly the flag. I think he was a great advocate. I was definitely a fan of him on Friends and, and his 12-step advocacy. I see him in some very difficult interviews because it's not the easy flag to fly. But he's, you know, I see him go through some very uncomfortable uh, questioning um, and, and holding the ground. So, you know, um, he's somebody that I watched quite a few interviews that he done and showed some interest and thought he was doing a great job um, putting himself out there to to put that point of view across that's not not always most accepted one but but he did he uh, he, he did so he did a good job I think you know legacy wise I think he definitely um, probably touched a lot of people's lives and again it's where these guys it's good that they do speak out because they are the people that get on the chat shows and reach massive audiences, especially about the prescription medication, because I honestly don't think people realise what an incredibly difficult that addiction is to break. You know, I'd say this is that, you know, like things like heroin are mind altering, but prescription medications are mind mutating. You know, the, that bridge that we talk about, mm -hmm. normal living. It's a lot longer, harder bridge by far 
um, to, to, to come off their medications that they're, they're, they're taking. They are brutal, and they're very powerful and very destructive. And, and if he did um, manage to get away from them in the end, you know, how many rehabs did he say he went to? Yeah, well, if you think it take about that, it's so damaging. Um, prescription medication addiction, it's like another level of addiction. It's worse than heroin. Worse than heroin. So, do you think there could be some kind of link to these like high stress jobs like acting or doctors, lawyers? you know maybe people in these like celebrity uh environments that that could potentially make them like more prone to addiction is it something to do with stress and like wanting to relax down from it and you know is that a part of it do we think well for somebody probably but on the whole everybody thinks that whatever they're doing is you know like you know people think they're an alcoholic you have more chance of being an alcoholic because you're from ireland or you know Mind you, they did used to say in London, as a joke, that if we took all the Irish out of the AA meetings, we can have them in a phone box. But, <laughs> but everybody sort of believes that, you know, whatever it is that they're doing, you know, like actors, you know, plumbers, airline pilots, you know, they all think that it's, the career is, is what's causing it. But again... You've only got to go to a few AA meetings or work in a rehab and see all the different kinds of people. And, you know, one of the things that we used to do in groups with people is to say, look, why did you start drinking or taking drugs? And it would go around the room and people would always, oh, because I got molested, because I got let down, because I got, you know, abandoned, because I'm black, because I'm white, because I'm gay, because I was poor, because I'm you know, got ADHD, you know, just every ex reason that was possible, people would say, but then I'd go, hang on, no, 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 I'm asking, why did you start? And they're like, well, that's the reason. I say, no, think about it. You didn't go, oh, I feel like I've got low self-esteem, so I'm going to go and have a drink, or, you know, I got molested, so I'm going to shoot heroin. You know, that that's not how it happened. And most people, they're like, well, you know, I just started drinking and really liked it. Liked the effect it had on me. And so, so that other stuff could have contributed to it. But, but when you say, but, but look, he never got molested and he's drunk and drug addict. She never got abandoned and she's still a drug addict. You know, he ain't gay, but he's still a drug addict. It's like, look, you've all got a different reason for the same problem. And, again, I think when the trauma thing come out, it was like, oh, well, we can clump all of that into one cause, which is trauma. But then I think, but if you take that a little bit further, not everybody that has trauma becomes an addict. Now, people go, well, everyone's an addict has got trauma, it's like, well, again, most people have, and most people are looking for a reason. Is it some life event that's caused it? But then you do meet people when you work in a rehab and go around hundreds of thousands of meetings over 30 years that go, honestly, I don't, 
remember any reason. I don't have anything like that that I can tell you that was the cause. Of course, most people do. And most people are, are glad, glad to grab hold of a problem to tell you why they're behaving so badly. And mostly, I think it's to elicit either forgiveness or elicit some other self-pity or emotion from people. I don't, and again, so I don't like, I, 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 I'm not keen on straight away when people are talking to me to let you believe that. You know, and again, you can say, well, what's it got to do with you? I believe like that. I'm just telling you. But when I'm listening to the news and they ask homeless people, why are you homeless? And they're like, oh, my wife left me. I'm like, mm, I need to go and speak to his wife. Because he'll be like, he's a drunk. He's a pain in the ass. He's stealing off me all the time. He's smacking the kids around. He's spending all the wages. He's coming home abusing me. I couldn't stand it after 10 years. I kicked him out. There's nothing to do with his wife leaving him. And I'm not saying that don't happen. I'm just not saying, well, yeah, well I'm not accepting what they're telling me. Because I've worked through and they're going to tell you whatever illicit emotion from you that gets them what they want. But I've learned through 30 years in alcoholics and I'm talking to thousands and thousands of people that that's usually not the truth. But people like to believe it. And then they make a big story about it like, oh, this poor man, he's had such a terrible time and that's why he's an alcoholic. Again, I'm not belittling that stuff that happens to people. What I'm trying to say is, is that I think it's something deeper than that in the mind of certain people. And it doesn't occur in everybody. Well, a lot of people have trauma. A lot of people get molested. A lot of people, I mean, it's shocking how many people you meet in your life that have been molested. Not all of them are drug addicts. Not all of them are alcoholics. So and everybody's had some sort of trauma or not, but not all of them have turned to drugs or needed therapy. A lot of them get on with their life. It's, it's their ability to respond is different. I think it's, it's what you, the way that you respond into life. So it's not what's happening to you, it's the way you respond to it that tells us, do you have this problem? If you're not responding very well to it, then I think there's some grey matter missing some neural net missing and it's missing in at least one in ten people born on the earth and we call them alcoholics so it's nothing to do with drink it's to do with whatever's missing in their head that's causing them to not be able to solve problems very well and then start self-medicating which is why i don't think that keeping people on medication and drugs is necessarily the solution i think if you can add your fat, it can be a blocker to the solution. That's because I think that what we've learned through pro the programs and the 12-step program and certain therapies is that you can redevelop that part of somebody's brain. But it is a lot of hard work and it is difficult. And so to me, that's um, that's what recovery is more about and I think that's what that Matthew Perry was advocating but the medication that he was on makes that very difficult because it is very tormenting uh, addiction without drugs to live um, without treating your addiction uh, at all without drugs or therapy 
um, not treating it it's very tormenting you know it does need treatment i just don't believe that taking chemicals or some of these medicines is actually treating it it's just pain killing it i think uh, i think it's something that goes on in the center it's the way we kind of say it, with addiction centers in the brain not everybody has it he definitely had it That makes sense. It it does make sense to me, yeah. So obviously there are there's twelve there's programs, there's twelve step programs where people can can seek help and you know, some there's some stigma behind some twelve step programs. Um and I think you know, there's also other options and you know, anybody that's struggling should always be seeking advice. That's always the first step, no matter what, what they go for. Do you have any suggestions for where people can go to seek help? Um, of course, Rehabs UK, who are you know, sponsor the podcast, and that's uh, your company. Is we oh, have, have treatment advisors that you can talk to. Yeah, we have a lot of information on there uh, that people can read. I think becoming informed is very important because one of the things I've learned, the more I've learned about my condition and addiction over the years, is how people really misunderstand addiction, and because they misunderstand it, I don't think it gets treated very well. And I don't think by any stretch of imagination, this country, England, has got a grip on treating addiction very well. I think it's actually treating it very badly. I mean, this is why we've got growing death rates and the prisons are overflowing and people are turning up in and uh, in A&E with mental health problems in ever-growing numbers. And, uh, you know... We served this joke as well back in the early days that we'd say that addiction isn't a valium deficiency because doctors seemed to think it was a valium deficiency because they would just give everyone loads of valium. And again, even in my career, you know, when I started my rehab, we needed one drug safe for the clients. And we noticed there was ever-increasing amounts of medication being doled out. And we ended up needing three drug safes. And when you look at all the facts and figures and statistics, it's just growing worse and worse in larger numbers on every metric in society because they're just not understanding the problem. And you can't medicate addiction away. It's not a Valium deficiency. It's not a drug deficiency. So, you know, not everybody's turning up to, um, not everybody's turning up to, uh, to A&E that has an addiction problem. That's just when you get really bad. Not everyone gets to that point. You know, not everybody's turning up at turning point or change, grow and live with an addiction problem. I mean, a lot of people are going to their GPs, but they're not going there telling them they're drinking too much. They tell them they're depressed and they give, give them antidepressants, and, which is on the increase. I think antidepressants has almost doubled the amount of people on antidepressants in the last 20 years. You know, 
I think 70% of the people that actually did turn up for them for treatment said that they had mental health problems as well, which were going untreated or, you know, in, truth is a lot of the time in rehab, most people that had kind of all kinds of mental health problem diagnosis and all kinds of medications, it just wasn't true. The symptoms were being caused by their addiction. And, but it wasn't really something that the doctors, they could get you on the medication, but they kind of loathe to get you off of it. And again, it, some of them people had been on very powerful mind-altering substances for like 20 years. I mean, it literally rewires your brain. Like literally, your neural network forms to support your drug-soaked brain. And to get it back to a normal brain takes putting your brain in a different environment long enough for it to rewire itself, which it will do. That's the good news. You've got neuroplasticity and you've got mirror neurons, which is why it's good to be around people in recovery, because your brain mirrors them. And it changes. You can change your mind, but it takes strong communities of people in recovery to do that, which is, again, what I've been trying to warn people, the danger of what's going on in our country. Recovery's been defunded. Them environments have been defunded. And so, because they've cut back funding for long-term stays in rehab, which is damaging the recovery community. It's going to not only going to pull down all of the good work that's been done over the last 50 years, it's, uh, it's going to cause the death rates to rise. I mean, all the money's going into harm minimalisation. It's a bit, of a bit of a scare for me because them communities are what help to change the mind of the people that do get abstinent recovery and again abstinent recovery is like a dirty word a lot of the time because uh, most of the people are sold out on harm minimalization it's almost like a terrible thing to tell someone that they stop taking drugs you know, it is hard don't get me wrong and uh, <clears throat> it's a difficult business but you know what makes recovery work is usually other people in recovery so if you start reducing the community, the recovering communities, then it's going to be harder for the new people to get recovered. Because you find that in Matthew Perry, like I said, it's 6,000 meetings, but I can tell you as well, we spent thousands of hours on the telephone with people in recovery. We spent thousands of hours drinking coffee, hanging out, supporting other people, being supported himself. And if it wasn't for all them other people, never would have worked for him never would have worked for him again prescription medications is probably one of the most difficult addictions to break it's deeply misunderstood deeply misunderstood I think if people realised how powerful their antidepressants and their medications they were being given and, and again I'm, I'm really believing now they're starting to record and tie that, that we're going to find that once they start really researching it, that them drugs 
far more responsible for deaths than heroin and cocaine. Far more people are dying and being put at risk of death because of the medications that are being given out willy-nilly. They're very powerful. Antidepressants are very powerful mind-altering substances. They do a lot of damage to a lot of people. I think even like 20,000 people a year. I just sent you that statistic. I think and, uh, about 20,000 a year die from just um, getting the wrong prescriptions and things like that. That's never mind, you know, I'm pretty sure you'd find that most people that commit suicide are on antidepressants. Most people that overdose, it's not because of illegal drugs, it's because they're, they're medications that they're getting, that they're mixing. I'm pretty sure once they really drill down on the statistics, what we're going to find is a lot of that legal prescribed medication is responsible for a lot of overdose and a lot of suicide and in children. It's, uh, the side effects are terrible. And again, it's like... I suppose one of the big takeaways we're getting from here really is to like find a good, strong community of people that you can be around to support you because you're not going to be able to do it alone, whether that's AA meetings or you know whatever that might be. You, you need that support network around you and those sponsors and somebody to talk to and somebody that's been yeah. through it before. Yeah, and I think for most people, see, professionals are not really the um, solution because, again, when you're around like the 12-step fellowship, you're, you're around a lot of people in recovery. And again, look, the problems happen. You know, I understand that, you know, sometimes you're drowned and then a pirate ship turns up, you get in the pirate ship, I'm not saying it's always the best place to be, but I'm not saying 12-step fellowships are all pirates, but my point is, is that when you're that desperate, you know, then people can save your lives, and they do save each other's lives. That's whatever anyone thinks about the 12-step fellowship. If it was researched, I know for a fact that then people in them meetings, they give each other a hell of a lot of support, like a hell of a lot of support. You know, they really go the extra mile for each other and help each other stay alive. And I think if, I don't think anything equals that. I just don't think there is anything that equals that fellowship. I don't think professionals can synthetically produce that kind of fellowship. And so I think, I wish it was given more um, acknowledgement of how valuable it is no matter how annoying it might be to professionals, and how annoying it might be to, you know, often you know, reading on LinkedIn is that, you know, even people having a go at people in recovery for going on about people taking methadone, and methadone don't work for everybody, and it kills about, I think, 700 people last year died of methadone. You know, it went up 28% methadone death, you know, through COVID. It's not like, it doesn't work for everybody, and, you know, a lot of people, um, people dying 12-step recovery, they probably need to take some medication. You know, it's complicated. But I think it needs both. It needs both of them to be given um, the acknowledgement of the good that each of them do. And they both need to be supported 
because it's like twelve step fellowship. It's like a free, hard working, wonderful workforce of volunteers. You know, I think in a country now, fifty percent of the drug and alcohol services are people that have come through twelve step recovery. And a lot of them come through rehab. And so if you start defunding the sort defunding the source that helps them people exist, you're getting rid of a lot of people that um that are needed to to go that extra mile. And um so I think to myself, you know, I'm a believer that, you know, the substitute for me was the people that I need is the support. You know, it's nice going to AA meetings, that's been good for me. It's nice helping other people, that's been good for me. Nice working a spiritual program. I love um, doing my spiritual program. I love meditating, I love praying, I love talking about God. But I can tell you, mate, when my head goes west, I'm not praying, I'm on the phone to someone. And without that other person to help me, um, I don't think I'll, I'll be lost. So for me, it's unequaled. You've got to be around a group of people that that you can call 24-7. Because I don't know where my head's going west. It could be three in the morning. I know if I phone one of my... One of our guys up at three in the morning, they'd pick up and they wouldn't be angry. And that driver would sit with me if that's what I needed. It's very rarely happened these days, but in the early days, a few times, mate, I thought, three in the morning, I'm coming undone like a cheap suit. And all I want to do is go and use. And instead of picking up the drug, I pick up the phone and somebody was there in a short period of time making coffees, talking to me, you know, sitting with me till it passed. You can't get that from professionals. So again, professionals are all good as far as they go. 12-step fellowships as good as far as they go. But, you know, if you're drowning and you're being critical of the, the lifeboat, I don't know, we keep jumping back in the ocean just because the lifeboat ain't up being abandoned. I don't know what to say about that. I was desperate, mate, when that lifeboat turned up with a pirate in. I got in it. Realised I was a pirate myself. But that worked out alright for a few years and then I wanted to change. And I jumped ship. <laughs> Go and find one I like sailing around it. I've got a lot of nautical analogies. I don't know why, but but again, I really like that idea that, you know, because again, addiction is a mental problem. Now, when my head's good, it's good. But when it, it can switch, and if I don't know how to get it back again, you know, and I like that idea that, you know, when, when the boat's in the ocean, there's no problem. So when I'm in the world, there's no problem. But when the ocean starts getting in the boat, the boat starts sinking. When the world gets in my head, I just start sinking. And unless I know how to bail it out again, uh, I'm lost. And so that's all I know, mate, really. And again, Matthew Perry, 
was an advocator of that as we started and uh, God bless him and I hope that his legacy uh, was something for him to be proud of because I'm pretty sure it was pretty sure he'd done a lot of great advocacy and a lot of, helped a lot of people and it's a shame whatever happened to him it's a shame but it's a tough business and I'm sure he did a lot of damage to his body with that crappy pharmaceutical medicines that he was taking, abusing. Anyway, not a lot more to say about that. I think she got any more questions, mate? No, that's perfect, Lester. I really appreciate that. Thank you for your time today. Um, yeah, as, as always, there's there'll be notes in the show notes of this episode. So if you do require any help, please reach out. We do have treatment advisors who can point you in the right direction. It's not one not one shoe fits all, so please do give us a call and you can always get in touch with, with people that can point you in the right direction and find out the best possible options for yourself. Um, but thank you again, Lester, and uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate your time. Cheers, mate. Thank you. God bless. Cheers. Cheers.